2: Do you see? You gods of sea and sky! I conquered Troy! Me, Odysseus, a mortal man of flesh and blood and bone and mind! I do not need you now. I can do anything.
1: Odysseus, why do you define? Who are you? It is I, Poseidon, god
0: of the wine dark sea. You have already forgotten how I helped you. Help me.
1: For ten years you played with us as toys.
2: For ten years you let blood spill to your shores. But it was my serpent who silenced La For your horse was stooled, yet you refuse to give thanks. You forget a man is nothing without the gods.
3: You will suffer for this offense. For your arrogance, you will drift on my sea for an eternity.
1: Never again will
3: you reach the shores
1: of Ithaca.
3: You
2: cannot stop me! Shuffle Happy heresies and welcome to the desert of the real. Hope you enjoyed that clip from the old 1997 The Odyssey TV series with Armand Asante playing Odysseus. This grand myth really covers it all. Yes, the gods can be creeps, but projecting too much morality upon them makes us no better than the village atheist or Christian fundy twitter girl boss. And let's face it, humans ain't great at passing any morality test. And I wonder if many today could even pass the Turing test. The Odyssey also highlights that hubris is one of our great downfalls. We think we can do it all, that we require no divine assistance, inner dialogue, or sense of gratitude for the numinous. And then, as Paul writes, pride cometh before the fall. Then we wonder why we sink more into matter and madness. As J.K. Chesterton said, A madman is not someone who has lost his reason, but someone who has lost everything but his reason.
3: A delusion is an idea. That an idea can be contagious. I mean, we prefer ideas that fit a pattern. In other words, we don't believe what we see. We see what we believe. And when we are stressed or our beliefs are challenged, when we feel threatened, the ideas we have can become irrational.
2: The other great lesson from the Odyssey is why all great conflicts and injustices happen. Sure, an argument can be made that the Trojan War happened because of love, because of the ambitions of rulers, because of the vanity of higher beings. But the truth is that the Trojan Wars occurred because Zeus thought the world was too overpopulated with men. Whether humans threatened him or he believed resources would be scarce is academic. The point is that the Supreme Being of the Cosmos decided to initiate a eugenics and genocide project from his executive office. Release the Kraken! You are specks of dust
1: beneath our fingernails. Your very breath is a gift from Olympus. You have insulted powers beyond your comprehension.
2: And guess what? The project has never ended. The Demiurge continues even today eliminating those that might wake up too much and breeding a race of murderous meat sacks that love em some divide-and-conquer games without frontiers. Nothing has changed, and here we are in these end times of this age of Hermes. Hermes, the one god, along with other trickster wisdom deities, Hecate and Athena, who assisted the awakened and heroic in the Odyssey. And that is you, oh you of the broken places, awake and heroic as you have endured so many Trojan Wars for so many lifetimes, always one step ahead from the memos and manipulations of Olympus. God isn't for you, Lenny. God is for men who have no use for freedom. You follow the trickster, and you are a trickster yourself. And you know these days are the hardest of them all, but you eat nervous breakdowns for breakfast. It's all fun and games, until someone loses a third eye, and then it's just Gnosis.
3: Psychotic drones, where the mystic swims.
2: As Hunter S. Thompson said about the current surveillance state and soft-porn totalitarian system, in a closed society where everybody's guilty, the only crime is getting caught. In a world of thieves, the only final sin is stupidity.
3: It's not really a measure of mental health to be well-adjusted in a society that's very
0: sick.
2: So, welcome to Hey On We're running with those searching for the truth and avoiding those who have found it. We're writing our own gospel and living our own myth. We're winning the game of Saturn and fooling the stupid meat sacks that are ruled by Olympus and its eugenics genocide plan.
3: Some of you may die, but it's a sacrifice I am willing to make.
2: And guess what, too? Some have said that the Odyssey is simply the story of the soul or Sophia. Helen of Troy represents the soul or Enoia that has been kidnapped by Archons and must be rescued. That's the whole plot. After all, in some Gnostic myths, Sophia reincarnates across history without her memories, including as Helen of Troy and finally ends up in a brothel where Simon Magus rescues her. And then both go all metaphysical Bonnie and Clyde against Yaldibaldi and his thug angels. Boy, that escalated quickly.
1: I mean, that really got out of hand fast.
2: And here we are, knowing that being part of Sophia's rescue operation is part of our destiny. We play the trickster we play the rescuing paladin and we bring down Olympus once and for all.
1: You cannot play God then wash your hands of the things that you've created. Sooner or later, the day comes when you can't hide from the things that you've done anymore.
2: Both myth and history are sure fiction, as Alan Moore said, rewarding if we take all the advice from the Odyssey. Definitely. One of the greatest realities of both fiction and myth is the importance of altered states of consciousness for that sweet gnosis. So it's a delight to once again host Chris Bennett, the leading authority today on entheogen use of the ancients and moderns. He smokes his way to the virtual Alexandria to discuss his new book. Cannabis, lost sacrament of the ancient world. Get ready to modify everything you thought about the ancients, from the Israelites to the Greeks, about how they contacted higher worlds. Ash smoke on the water, fire of revelation in the sky. It's better to burn out than to fade away. Due to tech and weather issues, including a hurricane where Chris resided, we came a little short of an hour and 30 minutes. But I'll provide the entire interview for everyone as a fall special. For subs, I'll include a section of a previous interview with Chris where he discusses the entheogen use in occultism across history including the drug use of Knights Templar, John Dee, and Freemason groups. Amazing insights, and you won't want to miss this. So please sub for the full psychedelic experience.
1: We were somewhere around Barstow, on the edge of the desert, when
2: the drugs began to take hold. All
1: right, well, that makes you a fucking hypocriticizer,
2: too. So shut the fuck up and smoke my weed. This information will certainly provide more tools for your essential inner journey. By Odin's dingleberries, you don't go to the underworld just to visit the gift shop, but to find those programmed demons and convert them to winged assistants that will take you to the embrace of Sophia. That is your destiny. That is within you. We bring down Olympus together by tricking the shit out of it and rescuing Helen from the dark tower of conformity and mechanical thinking. Anything else would be average. Where there is fire, we will carry gasoline.
3: The more you tighten your grip, Tuck, the more star systems will slip through your fingers.
2: Let the Karens and Katamites of the establishment destroy each other in their circular firing squads. We are on a special odyssey, which is to find our true selves.
1: You are tearing me apart, Lisa!
2: In India, a common technique for training young elephants is to tie a baby elephant to a post with ropes or chains. The baby elephant will initially try to break free, but eventually accepts being tied up and stops trying to escape. When the elephant matures into adulthood, trainers will simply stake that elephant to the ground with the same post and ropes. Despite being strong enough to uproot the post as an adult, the elephant will stay tied to that spot having associated the post with its power to restrain from babyhood. Game over, man! This demonstrates how early conditioning can lead to lifelong beliefs and habits, even when the restraints are only illusion. The elephant, limited by its youthful experience, exemplifies how our upbringing shapes our thinking and behavior as adults. Whether those limitations are real or only ingrained perceptions.
3: What truth? That you are a slave, Neo. Like everyone else, you were born into bondage, born into a prison that you cannot smell or taste or touch. A prison for your
2: mind. Here at AMBI, you are no longer tied by phantom ropes or chains. Your destiny is to roar and be free because Gnosis has shown you that liberty and a masterless journey are the true essence of any human wishing to make the universe a better place. Simple as that. Let us remove any phantom ropes or chains and make Zeus cringe with our interview with Chris Bennett.
1: You die, and then you go up to get judged, right? God pops in the DVD of your life, and says, I don't know about this right here. (laughs) Mind explaining yourself? (laughs) This might be the most arrogant thing I say all night, but I actually resent the fact that I'm gonna get
0: judged someday. Like, if that's true that somebody's going to judge me. Like, it doesn't even make any sense. It's like, dude, you made me, so this is your fuck-up, all right? Let's, <laughs> let's not try to turn this around on me, you know? Jesus Christ.
1: I, you, you give me freedom of choice, you make whores, you have me suck at math, and you don't think this thing's going to go off the rails? <laughs> like, you set me up to fail, and now you got the balls to now question your own goddamn work. Dude, if I made a car, if I built a car and it didn't run, I wouldn't, like, burn it forever. You evil piece of shit. Light it on fire. I wouldn't. I would troubleshoot. Is there gas in the engine? Is the battery charge? Anything beyond this, I gotta
0: get a real man to look at it. But I believe in you. I'm try and help you out. That's... Yes.
2: This is the AM Bide interview, and as always, it is a pleasure to have Mr. Chris Bennett on the show. Always an amazing uh, adventure of high-quality gnosis and revelations on the truth about history and the truth about humanity. This time he will come to discuss his latest book, Cannabis, Lost Sacrament of the Ancient World. Chris, how are you doing, and thanks for coming on the show.
1: I'm doing very well. Thank you. Always a pleasure.
2: Pleasure is all ours. And with us, too, we got the Moondog Vance. Vance, how are you doing?
3: Oh, I'm fine. Ready to search for truth in all the right places.
2: (laughs) Well, needless to say, Chris has definitely been a pioneer. Probably, I, I would say he's the OG when it comes to the truth about entheogens, historical entheogens. His work is priceless and has really moved the needle to a better world and uh i think his books and his research speak for themselves he doesn't even have to uh to defend himself it's so awesome but chris last time we had you we had the group meeting in uh, june 2020 so it was a while different world strange world in those times but maybe tell the audience a little bit about yourself as you write in this book chris you came to uh, marijuana in a matchbox from a friend in 1996. Is that what started your journey?
1: Oh, I don't. I think you must be reading somebody else's uh, bio there. Uh, um, a, matchbox, really? a matchbox in 1990. I've been smoking grass for like 50 years.
2: <laughs> wow. Uh, I, I better go look it. Better, I, I know it was your book and I did some copy and pasting. Well, regardless... So when did so you just got started with marijuana when did you decide to become a researcher?
1: Oh, I I started smoking grass when I was quite young, 12 years old. Uh um and I'm I'm 61 now. Uh um and uh you know, I guess I always liked it. Like I quit the odd time and uh um but uh, in 1990 I had a a very powerful religious experience. That led to me to start researching uh, the role of cannabis in different religions and stuff, right? And so this is what led to my various books.
2: Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, and it seems I wanted to ask your question. It seems obviously cannabis is now uh, pretty much part of the mainstream. Why it never was? Well, we've we've talked about it, uh, talk about the demiurgic world. But, uh, even here in Illinois now it's uh, medicinal it's recreational uh even uh, I live in the country and the little town next to me they're putting in a uh dispensary, and you got half of the population, the boomer's freaking out the other half the other half is like money, 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 you know, so it's the same thing, but there's a dispensary in the middle of nowhere in McHenry country in north of Illinois at the same time. I, of course, you know me, I feel all drugs should be legal. Adults are adults. We have free choice. We should when it comes to our bodies and so forth. But I almost feel that the marijuana legalization at this point, it might be doing more damage than good. And I think it should be legal simply because people, I think, don't know how to use it. And you've talked about it. You got so many younger generation are using it without a sense, without approaching it sacramentally, without humility, you know, without understanding what these things are? What's your view on this? And do you agree?
1: Well, here in Canada, you know, it's completely legal. And I got to say, um, the normalization here has just been so amazing. You know what I mean? Like every, you know, little old ladies tell you all about CBD, and uh, uh, you go into the legal stores, and it's all walks of life and cultures and stuff like that. And uh, um, so much stigma has been removed, right? Um, unfortunately, you know, like there's a certain corporate element that kind of took over from where the the, the grassroots scene uh, was. Um, in regards to like, you know, I, I myself, I definitely, you know, cannabis is my sacrament and stuff like that. Uh, um, and that's that's where, I, where I've, what I've tried to bring to the world, you know, more knowledge about is is this spiritual role of cannabis. But I don't know that I can condemn uh, um, recreational use or people that are not spiritual. You know, I mean, I I really smoke with people that have, you know, no interest in any of that type of stuff. It's it's just like kind of a a human bond. And I think that's, you know, one of the things about it is, is it's more about this world. You know, it's like, and you know, it's not just like the the act of of getting stone. You know, it's an incredible medicine and and the most nutritious food. You know what I mean? Is hemp seed? Uh, um, you know, I I I had one of the first hemp seed food businesses in 1990, and it was pretty radical then. And now you go into any grocery store and you can get hemp hearts, which is like a superfood. You know, uh, unfortunately, you know the the fiber hasn't really been realized, you know, very much. It's a little bit of hemp cloth out there and hemp paper, but these things are all really offer a a way to regrain the planet, you know, Um, downside of marijuana. um, I don't know. It's like, you know, I'm kind of stuck up. I'm a pot snob in in the sense that I I don't like to be around alcohol at all. I, I don't like to be around drunk people. I don't go to bars, Uh, um, And, you know, I would say I would never have friends over and they get drunk or anything at my house. (laughs) That never happens. So, um, yeah, I think that it's a positive thing overall, you know, like and the uh, um, spread of it. But at the same time, you know, you got legalization in your state. There's other places where people are still going to jail for it and with outrageous sentences and around the world. You know, I forget about it here in Canada. I feel like the war is over. You know, it's like lost a lot of uh, the purpose for the activity. And and I think that largely the the stigmas against it are religious based. You know, it's like I think the roots of prohibition are Christians versus the devil's weed, and when we take a look through history. Uh, this seems to be a scenario that's played out again and again, whether it be uh, um, the condemnation uh, of these things as devil sacraments. But when the indigenous cultures uh, were discovered using them, when the, 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 the Christians came to the new world, so-called new world, or the condemnation of the witches. And I would say this goes right back to the roots of uh, 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 you know the Roman Catholic Church and uh, uh, the New Testament and the condemnation of Gnostic groups and pagans that also I I think we can really say uh, we're using these substances you know what I mean certainly uh, in regards to the Hebrews we now know they were through archaeological evidence which I discuss at length in the in the new book.
2: Oh indeed and I think at the end of the day uh, it might be academic this discussion because I think it was Aldous Huxley who said an idiot on acid is still is just an idiot on acid. It's not you got to get your mind right whether you're high, whether you're yeah. doing this, drinking alcohol. It it starts with that, so it's yeah. uh, tangential what we're talking about. Yeah, and I remember you ever watched that documentary Reefer Madness? That's one of my favorite like yeah, pieces yeah. of propaganda to laugh at.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, like you can use cannabis to play like video games, or you could be like a sadhu in India and partake of Lord Uh Shiva's body and blood, you know, through a chillum of hashish before sitting down to your asanas and uh, trying to achieve oneness of the universe. You know what I mean? Uh, It's fuel for both. (laughs) Um, And, uh, um, you know, and I think that a large part of the way it affects you has to do with your intention and and beliefs about it, you know, when it was like, a, a major medicine in the 19th century and it was like huge you know what i mean it was in cough medicines and uh corn and bunny medicine just a, such a wide variety uh, of medicines and widespread use you know pisos cure is one of the most common uh, cough medicines of, of the early uh, uh 20th century was cannabis indica based you know uh, um people didn't really necessarily have like these mind-blowing experiences because they're taking a medicine and they Feel the effects. oh, the medicine's working. I'm feeling better. (laughs) Um, And then ironically, when we rediscovered marijuana medicine uh, after uh, prohibition, one of the condemnations was was, it was feel good medicine. Like somehow, you know, feeling great (laughs) and being happy was it was a bad side effect. You know, when you take a look at some of the side effects of pharmaceuticals out there, uh, um, that's laughable
2: yeah that protestant mentality you just can't have fun uh so it is yeah and yeah, yeah and of course it's great because uh, i was thinking god you had the natives using this medicine to cure things but in the 1920s century we were sawing off limbs or taking out uterus every time somebody had an ache or was hurt yeah. so <laughs> i'm glad this has been integrated into our society because it does complement good health you know good science uh rational science so it's part well, of, that, sort of it's
1: revolutionized medicine because of the discovery of the endocannabinoid system you know like uh, um the endocannabinoid system which is a natural uh, uh major part of our, our our vitality in life uh is it was only discovered through the discoveries of cannabinoids and how they work on the human body and then it was learned that thc mimics you know uh endogenous endocannabinoids which are cannabinoids produced in the, in the body. And these can be affected by cytocannabinoids, you know, and uh, there's other interesting, you know, like uh, uh, connections with cannabis in the human body, like the seeds rich in gamma linoleic acid, which is found in human mother's milk and just a couple other rare seed oils. Uh, there's estrogens like molecules in cannabis, you know? Uh, um, and so it's, we have some sort of like, I think, you know, certainly an agent relationship according to the latest archaeological evidence You know, people have been utilizing cannabis for rope and fiber for close to thirty thousand years, and we know the the evidence of its ritual use goes back to. Five, six thousand years ago, like recently uh, in Spain, they found a five thousand year old plate in this was a a temple that was run by women uh, all uh, in high role places. They figure either religious leaders or royalty. Uh, um, And uh, they found a huge plate with both cannabis and wine uh, residues that was, you know, five thousand years old. Uh, um, and, uh, um, you know, similarly in Ukraine and Romania, there's evidence that cannabis was used in burial rituals going back that, that long as well, which is older than any, uh, written religion or anything like that, you know, and I think the real revelation, uh, um, in regards to cannabis and other entheogens in this, what's emerging from the ancient world, uh, um, is that you know this is the foundation of, a lot of how this start, stuff started basically in shamanism and the use of uh, uh, psychoactive plants maybe also ritual fasting and trance states induced by uh, uh, singing and dancing and that sort of stuff as well but you know the undeniable reality is is in, in the in the biblical tradition that, that cannabis played a, a very significant role in the old testament period certainly and I think that can lead to some pretty founded speculation into the New Testament period.
2: Oh, I would agree. We certainly want to unpack that because your book has so much excellent research. But you also talk about in your book, Chris, you talk about the Great Leap Forward, which started 65,000 to 50,000 years ago, suggests Canada's may have enabled our prehistoric ancestors with novel new thought processes that aided in the development of tool making and other skills. So now we're in like Terence uh, Terrence McKenna stone day yeah, territory. Yeah. Well, this,
1: this, this was actually, you know, uh, based on, you know, uh, I'm excerpting a paper by uh, Dr. Jeffrey Guy, who was the head of GW Pharmaceuticals, one of the leading uh, can- can- medical cannabis uh, pharmaceutical companies, and Dr. John McPartland, a well-known uh, cannabis researcher. And they're speculating, you know, I'm sure inspired by McKenna, who also you know, wrote about uh, cannabis as well. Was a heavy cannabis user. McKenna, you know, he suggested there may have been uh, um, some connection between cannabis and storytelling because of the way we weave a tale and tie everything together. You know, right. there's all these kind of linguistic right. connections there that he felt. And uh, I think McKenna's, you know, uh, um, and not something. This isn't something that, uh, that 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 Dr. Jeffrey Guy and John McPartland go into. But McKenna certainly did. I think what, what his greatest contribution to the field of uh, entheogenic studies <clears throat> was uh, bringing in um, uh, Julian Jayne's uh, "The Origins of Consciousness" and the breakdown of the bicameral mind. And I, I think that's you know significant here as well uh, um, when we take a look at cannabis and how it was used uh, uh, um, in ancient uh, uh, Judaism and Assyrians or Astrianism and these different religions. Uh, um, because, you know, it it really ties it in. Uh, Not necessarily that James is 100% right, but I think he's got some pretty interesting contributions uh, when it comes to the origins of thought. He didn't mention psychoactive substances himself. uh, McKenna threw that in there. But basically, for those people that don't know about Julian Jaynes, I'm sure most of your listeners do, uh, um, he suggested that early man didn't think as we did now. They were more animal-like, just living, trying to survive through the day. And that the initially uh, hearing voices in your head thinking uh, um, occurred for most people, uh, much like it does for a schizophrenic, is something outside of themselves, uh, maybe the voice of their father or their chief or something like that. And this developed into the idea of of some sort of God and and heavenly messages.
2: Yeah, exactly. We had voices in our head. So so I guess, yeah, psycho psychoactive probably helped us manage this attune it uh, optimize it
1: there's receptor sites in the areas of higher thinking and memory so it's right right in there you know and uh even today many uh novice users report you know uh paranoia delusional thoughts and that type of stuff and i I suspect that cannabis can exasperate some people with schizophrenia not necessarily helping probably cbd or thc uh, uh affected uh, might be beneficial, in some some strains and other strains detrimental. In these cases, you know, I, I'm not a scientist, but uh, uh, um, I'm pretending to be one right now on the show. <laughs> you play one on TV, <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, um, uh, and I think this is one of the the, the real reasons uh, uh, it was used in religious ritual. You know, and you got to. I think there's an interesting connection, and James goes into this as well. Um, like most uh, ancient religious uh the text uh, that is uh, avesta these sorts of things that a lot of the biblical stuff uh were written in verse and uh, uh um come out like that and i i think that this is interesting when we take a look at uh um the role of cannabis in music and cannabis has inspired a number of different genres you know, rock and roll, reggae, Greek, rim, rimbigata, jazz, uh, um, you know, a variety of things, and, and also hip hop, where I think, you know, the hip hop culture is really connected. Many of these uh, uh, well known hip hop artists celebrate cannabis culture. And I think there's a connection here with what was taking place in the ancient world in cannabis. Uh, originally, the drum and the lyre, these were shamanic tools. Uh, used in uh, uh, um, ritual invocation you know what I mean and James talks about how repetitive music throws the brain into a right trance and a repetitive pattern and out of that stuff comes out for hip-hop artists it's the verses that they're spitting out their rhymes a lot of it's just some um, live and freestyle and I suspect that that was a similar situation uh, uh, um, with in regards to some of these temple settings where we know cannabis was used uh, where drums and beating, and then eventually bump, bad, bad, all of a sudden the holy word starts spewing forth, you know. Uh um, and uh um again, cannabis is known to affect the areas of the mind involved with music and poetry.
2: No, it makes perfect sense. Uh, I mean your book covers it, and I mean it was always cracks me up you talk to Christians, or Christians never notice that in the Hebrew Bible, many places, for example. David just goes on an altered state gets completely naked and he's just dancing in front of the, the altar of the Lord, the Ark, and it was completely Dionysian and shamanistic and uh, a rave. It's like he could be at a rave somewhere in the field and he would be right at home. Right.
1: (laughs) Yeah. 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 yeah, No, for sure. You know, and I think it's a real shocker for people, you know Uh, uh, it's hard to get their head around you know, well, well, it, most people that have read the Bible don't really know much about its creation or understanding, you know. Uh, I'm like, you know, the idea that, you know, the Hebrew God Yahweh was married and had a wife see, is mostly unknown, I would say, probably in the Christian West amongst churchgoers and stuff like that. But this is widely accepted amongst uh, uh, historians and biblical scholars now and uh um there's no denying it, you know what I mean yet it's just so foreign to these people uh the idea that this could have taken place, you know, and it's it's i i I'd, I'd like to see more knowledge about the the origins of the bible uh uh take place that's for sure,
2: yeah, for sure I mean there's no doubt <laughs> even in uh scholars like James McGrath and Margaret Barker have said that even the Gnostics, when you're look or the Mandeans, when you're looking at Sophia and the Archons and all that, it's all coded for all the angels and Ashira of when, when Israel was more of an animistic, shamanistic yeah. sort of religion that got suppressed. So it's all there. And also, too, is I mean, which is very important, and you bring in your book, and other scholars have noticed, but the ancient Hebrews. Were probably basically a cult of Dionysus, right? It was an altered yeah, there, state. Yeah, there wine. was
1: like some overlaps there, you know, for sure that came up. There's been coins minted uh, that indicate, you know, that they kind of combine Yahweh and Dionysius and stuff. Uh, um, so there was certainly some overlaps there, you know. I don't know about the the, the the deeper origins of Yahweh. I don't. I don't think so. I think it's just he's so Yahweh is so synchronistic that he just adapts everything, yeah. you know what I mean? I think that's the power of his uh, success, you know, going into uh, um, arriving in in, in agent uh, Levant and uh, adopting all the aspects of El, the, the king God and adopting all the aspects of Baal, the storm God, you know, and even taking their wives and stuff like that until he adopts all her aspects as well into his big, blobby parasitic uh, <laughs> <laughs> identity, you know, at least according to the Gnostics.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, well, that's what the Hebrew Bible is. And yeah, suddenly the Jews goes into captivity in Babylon and he comes out more like Marduk and he's more about laws and order. And you're like, hmm that's kind of a different god i mean oh my god satan's the bad guy now what happened you know so yeah
1: yeah yeah well yeah, this is where the, all the, i think a lot of the cannabis and stuff falls by the wayside is in this transition uh, um and initially uh um uh um i think it was a, a big part of uh, the cult of asherah you know and mm. then uh, scholars have suggested this as well uh um and uh um it's interesting because, you know, I, I've been on the, the show uh, years before and I've talked about uh, these Hebrew references to uh, cannabosum that were for uh, canna and that were suggested by uh, Sula Bennett, a, uh, a, a, a Jewish uh, etymologist and uh, 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 um, anthropologist who suggested there were these references to cannabis in the Hebrew Bible uh, under these terms that were mistranslated as calamus and both that, those references, when you follow them in context and this new archaeological evidence out of Tellarad in Jerusalem, where they found uh, a, a Jewish temple site uh, uh, um, and two, which had two altars, one that frankincense was burnt on and the other, which uh, uh, cannabis resins were burnt on. The, 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 the archaeologists involved I believe it was like a form of hashish, Um uh, is also connected with, with the cult of Asherah, you know. And uh, um, so it, I, I think it's really fascinating uh, because one of the reasons this uh, temple site is so well preserved was because it was canceled. It was like buried in a day at the time of, they believe, Hezekiah or maybe his grandson, Josiah, who were, I don't want to say monotheistic reformers because I don't think there was any monotheism uh, prior to then. I think that, you know, you have to talk about things like uh, centralizing worship in the Jewish temple into one cult, you know, and it's something new. It's a, it's it's, a, it's not a re- return to something. This is a new thing. And the Bible is written by the people that, you know, laid out by the people that were on this team. Right. Uh, so it makes it seem like that it was always that way. And these other things were idolatry. Uh, uh, but the archaeological evidence is pretty clear throughout the Levant. Uh, that it was polytheistic and uh, Asherah was coupled as with Yahweh. There's multiple inscriptions and engravings and things like that, that refer to Yahweh and his Asherah and, and show him in uh, uh, combination, just like this was uh, all over the ancient world with other deities as well, Maybe Ishtar and Tammuz, et cetera, et cetera, uh, um, was like the common kind of way of worship. Uh, um, and so the idea that it was something old is just it's just not not laid out in in the dirt you know what i mean it's just something that's that, that comes to us through the bible and um i think it's also a time you know that they move away from more shamanic type of revelation into what I, like you pointed out coming back with laws and ethics like with marduk and it's a means of ruling the kingdom you know what i mean and, and ruling the people you know it's like uh, uh trying to Bring a polytheistic uh, kingdom into agreement <clears throat> must have been a real struggle, you know, uh, um, because there's all these uh, uh, conflicting deities with their own cults and uh, their own wants and needs. And uh, uh, um, so everybody's vying for the, the trying to be the head of it all and trying to be the ones in control, you know, and that's switching up here and there. You know, at the, at the time all this took place, the Jews were uh, being attacked by the Assyrians, the Babylon, the Babylonians, and this is when it all kind of fell apart for them. And so there was a real need to consolidate the the, the kingdom in a lot of ways due to political factors. And uh, so, being no separation between religion and the state, you know, this I think led to monotheism that has lasted into the modern era and created the world that uh, that we have before us now and its imbalances is. is it it is pretty, pretty wild. You know, I think, you know, like the, the loss of something like an entheogen like cannabis and stuff is one thing, but when you think about the suppression of the goddess and uh, the, the, the divine feminine uh, into uh, just a solely a patriarchal uh, worldview where everything is created by this one male deity. um, I think it explains a lot about the state of the world we're in. And uh, um, uh, uh, you know the the warlike kind of existence. It's all you know. It's all it's it's really due to lack of having a good mom. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, hey Chris, um, do you think there was a
3: competition between different? you know, substances back in the old days. Like it's pretty clear that the drug of choice of Christianity is wine, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's a sacrament. Dionysus, right? yeah. And yeah, food, yeah you know,
1: like the Roman Catholicism for sure. I don't know that you could say that about, you know, the Gnostic texts. It's like, you take a look at the book of uh, IU. It's like, there's a variety of substances in use in that. Uh, um and, uh, uh, you know, incense that contained a wonder and uh, vine branches put in wine, all sorts of wild stuff in that. Uh, um, but, yeah, I don't know. I this I I, I one time I uh, brought uh, Dr. Michael Aldrich over for a lecture and he gave a great presentation on alcohol cultures versus cannabis cultures uh, mm-hmm. in the ancient world. And he certainly thought that that there was some sort of. Uh, uh, a big feud <clears throat> i think a lot of like you know wine and stuff like that was often infused in the ancient worlds so are pretty common i mentioned that earlier about that 5000 uh, year old uh uh plate that had both wine and cannabis residues on it and they found you know like uh in scythian tombs they found uh, uh, golden goblets that contained both residues of uh, uh, cannabis and opium in it, mixed with wine. The Zoroastrian texts refer to uh, 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 bong-infused ba- wines uh, uh, as well. You know, so uh, it wasn't an uncommon feature, and you know, strong drink in the Bible as well was probably a mixture of uh, a variety of substances. But, yeah, think of uh,
2: Marcus the magician, the Valentinian, yeah, Marcus the magician spices yeah. and his wine yeah. and and it's the document everybody would just get high immediately or yeah right after
1: that. yeah 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 so uh um there's certainly indications of that i think in in the cult of dionysius as well you know it's probably and i'm not just talking just cannabis i'm saying like manbane, mandrake probably a variety of different substances um but uh i do th- you know it's certainly became that way i think you know what i mean when you take a look at uh, the christian world and the christian west certainly wine and other alcoholic drinks have uh have been okay whereas other substances have not been okay and there's always been prejudice against them i think even when you read accounts of when people you know after the Crusades started going into india and the middle east and these places uh um, when they came across it it was kind of looked down upon the use of cannabis or opium and these types of things uh um so i think there is some some element of that i don't know how much is, of it is purely religious based i i don't think that uh i think you know the roman catholic church certainly made a distinction
3: That each substance, you know, mind altering substance has its own god built into it. Like you talk about the, the green man, you know, with, yes. with cannabis and so on, other, other things. And, um, it might be that these gods were fighting with each other, you know, in the ancient days, you know, and all these little groups that had a particular god and with, with its particular drug. I think the same thing about music, actually. I think every kind of music has its own drug in the back of it. Like you mentioned, you know, hip hop yeah. and, 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 and of course, certainly the jazz, jazz artists of the early 20th century, uh, loved, loved their, their smoke. But, um, you know, you got to wonder if, if there's not some sort of, uh, chicken and egg thing going on here with the, uh, who's influencing who? Is it the group with the substance or is the substance, you know, taking the group?
1: yeah yeah interesting um i guess I, I i don't know that i believe in like discarnate entities and all, all these things i think they're more like human projections to me rather than uh um uh entities that have their own divine existence you know um i i i like the gnostic concept of anthropos uh, a lot you know and i think that's where carl Jung kind of came up with the idea of uh of the collective unconscious uh, uh, um, was, was from that and alchemical material, you know, uh, um, anthropos is like the spirit of humanity, you know, or Adam Cadman in the Kabbalah, you know, and um, I think you know, like I think that that's that's I guess it's got its kind of own interpe- independent and interactive kind of aspect to it, you know. Uh, um, when I look at things like. I think my initial religious experience uh, with cannabis had to do with uh, reading the book of Revelation, you know, and uh, uh, reading the tree of life verses. And that's what led me on this path. But at the same time, like, I can kind of see like the revelation of the world we live in today. I totally accept that it was written in 95 AD about that time period. You know, Babylon was Rome and the, the beast was a Roman emperor and stuff like that but I think it's kind of bled into like the collective unconscious, you know? And, uh, um, and so then, you know, Anthropos is kind of interacting out with it. Maybe Anthropos even conceives of itself as God in its own way or something like that. Uh, um, But I think that's kind of where I'm at, that these are archetypes and things like that in, in in the collective consciousness, but uh, uh, not, freely independent beings and stuff is my own take on it
3: yeah fair enough
2: (laughs) and you can also talk about egregores we project i mean you said we can project our telekin or energy out and it might and it certainly defies reality at some point so nothing it wasn't controversial in the old days i mean atheists like sigmund freud believed in telepathy they thought you know animals have telepathy they can uh, detect earthquakes and storms hours before they strike. So yeah, I mean it's more <laughs> we're very connected.
1: Yeah, you look at yeah. herds or schools of fish or flocks of birds. You know, oh, yeah. hysteria. You know, it's the like the monarch butterfly. The, yeah. yeah, it's just yeah, you know. So it's it's an element, you know. And uh, I, I think uh, when I look at my own religious experience, I think it's tied in with that. That. Um, there's an aspect of us that's uh continual it's like what jung said the collective unconscious was the instinctual force in animals you know and uh became more complicated with us and and started adopting our symbolic universe uh and, and incorporating into it and i think it's like i think it was like a recognition of something that was is is what i had uh, uh rather than you know some sort of future prediction or or something like that um and uh um you Know, I, I think that also the, it's interesting, like how the, the whole Garden of Eden mythology, you know, plays in with drugs, you know what I mean? And Adam and Eve, when they eat the fruit and their eyes become open, they don't die as God said they would. And uh, I see that as tied in with all this stuff with Asher and Yahweh as well. Uh, numbers of scholars have written about uh, the, the Garden of Eden in light of what we know of uh about Yahweh and Asherah and see it as a, 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 a reversal of that mythology, you know? And, uh, um, it, you know, I think that, 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 that the, the ancient temple, at least as described in the Old Testament, it had all the elements of the Garden of Enid. There was the serpent uh, that Moses made sat within the temple and during the reforms of Hezekiah, they took out that brazen serpent and they destroyed it because the people of Israel had been burning incense to it. And the Asherah sat within the temple as well. They had to take that out and just, you know, and uh, the Asherah could have been a sacred uh, tree symbol. The menorah, you know, itself is even like uh, a sacred tree symbol and goes back (coughs) um, to Asherah worship. There's inscriptions where there's uh, clearly an ancient menorah style uh, drawing and two goats nibbling on it uh, that are associated with a Asheron or tree of life, you know? And and so the idea that the, the uh, temple as it's described in the, in the old Testament uh, is a reflection of Eden is is accepted on both sides of uh, the academic and the theological people point out to all these connections uh, 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 to it, you know, Uh, there's the cherubim are in there and it's the flaming cherubim that guard the way to the, tree of life and tree of knowledge. So it's kind of symbolic of that. Um, you got to th-
3: wonder, you know, uh, who married Yahweh and Asherah? <laughs>
1: they were married yeah, They get yeah, a priest yeah. from uh, from the Egyptians or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I probably when the, I think it was, uh, I forget the name of the group that they believe brought the, uh, the uh, Yahweh into Israel. Uh, um but uh, probably then, it just, it's just like the meetings of cultures is where a lot of this type of stuff happens, I think. You know what I mean? People make them together. <laughs> I don't think they're connecting in in some sort of divine heaven or anything. Yeah,
2: well, maybe it was the bishop from the movie uh, The Princess Bride. Manwitch, Peter Cook. Yeah, maybe he did it. And it's interesting, too, because, uh, yeah, you're talking about the temple, but even before, again, we're going to when... The Hebrews were more shamanistic, animistic. Uh, They were connected to the spirit world and the divine feminine principle. And they had the tabernacle. And as you show, the whole idea of the tabernacle would have been just one place you went in and you just got really high. I can just imagine like Jeff Spicoli walking out with smoke from the tabernacle, like, dude, that's awesome. So,
1: well, this temple in Arad that they found was about, you know, probably about four feet by eight feet. Uh, uh, um so it was like a tiny little space yeah. uh, um so it was you know built for keeping the smoke in this is much like the Scythian tents you know the Scythians, they didn't have pipes and bongs back then so people generally burnt cannabis in a brazier and he didn't want the smoke to just go off so there's like Tent-like structures. The in the cases of the Scythians, they they had little teepee-like tent structures. But uh, uh, the uh, the that account in Exodus describes the tent of the meeting. You know, and there's this uh, this is where the first of these cannabis references that Sula Bennett said were uh, references to cannabis occurred. Uh, um, is God commands Moses to make this holy anointing oil with about six pounds of cannabis to, with some myrrh and cinnamon and uh, cassia mixed into about a gallon and a half of olive oil. And every time he's to speak to the Lord, he covers himself with this oil and your skin's a big organ, THC is fatty soluble. Some can get through that way, but he also puts it all over everything in the tent and then he burns some on the altar of incense and he speaks to the Lord in the pillar of smoke over the altar of incense it's actually the the, the the pillar of smoke referred to the Shekinah and represents the physical presence of God in the temple. In the story, uh, Moses is only talking to uh, God when the smoke's pouring out through the tent in the in the tent of the meeting. You know what I mean? Uh, um, so you you throw a, a psychoactive substance in there with him. That's a pretty radical. Uh, 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 um, scenario. Is he talking to God or is he like a shaman or witch doctor in other cultures uh, having some sort of shamanic experience? Cannabis is actually interacting with the areas of higher thinking and memory. And Moses is pondering on a question for God, looking for an answer. And out of the smoke comes an answer. This is what you shall do. You know, Uh, um, now I'm not sure I believe in a historical Moses at this point, knowing what we know about uh, um the composition of the bible and uh uh and, and i don't think the hebrews prior to probably 7 600 700 bc knew about a historical moses either um, but uh um at the same time we have uh uh that this is thought to have been written around the time of hezekiah and josiah uh, uh, um, uh, we have the example of uh, in Assyria, uh, this is a time of Esarhaddon and Ashurbanipal, who both appear in the Old Testament, and we know that uh, in a similar way that cannabis, under the name Kanabu, an Assyrian name for cannabis, was being used in sacred rites there that involved Ishtar. It was offered as uh, incense and a, and a drink to Ishtar and a, an anointing oil. Uh, um, And um, there's like uh, Assyrian records of large amounts of cannabis being delivered to the Temple of Anana and the Temple of Marduk and uh, uh, um, this is like historically known, you know what I mean so uh, a very similar uh, way that it was being used. We know that the Assyrians had there's references to uh, 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 cannabis in the Assyrian text that refer to it as opening ones, but a topical ointment that opened one's ear to God. and this is a similar way to the way that Moses is is depicted in exodus as as using uh, cannabis as well. So this is probably like some sort of widespread kind of you know, Near Eastern, uh, Mid Eastern uh, technique of ecstasy that was used at a variety of temples, certainly in the Assyrian ones, and now we know from this evidence uh, uh, in Arad, certainly in, in Hebrew temples. You know, and you know, I mentioned uh, Ishtar and Anana there, uh, uh, their involvement with cannabis, and they're not the only Near Eastern goddesses that were. And we also know Ishtar, uh, 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 who a Hittite goddess, so it was worshipped by the Hittites. As well, there's references to cannabis in uh, her poems and uh, talks about the ointment of Isherah is Kanaba, which is cannabis. Uh, um, so I think that the indications are that uh, when we take a look at Asherah, uh, uh, Ishtar, Anana, Isherah, is this was like really connected to goddess worship and goddess worship goes way back. And uh, um, I think that, you know, like uh, uh, likely these goddesses originated with, with, a, with, with a identical earlier goddess, you know, it's like, I it, they splits off into different areas, takes on its own flavor, much like when language splits off, it all starts changing and developing and stuff like that. We see that with a lot of these deities and that explains their connections and their differences uh, um, because they've taken on some local flavor and stuff like that. Uh, um, so, you know, uh, um, this was a widespread practice throughout the ancient world it appears you know that that it was completely eradicated so well is 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 mind-blowing but then so was the goddess you know
2: exactly yeah well if you you have to control the mystic experience if you can control that you can control the people and like you said you can have a proper civilization roads and math and all that good stuff and uh yeah even then um what was I going to say? Uh, as you write in your book, oh, and I should say too, even people think the Romans were kind of open-minded, but the Romans were pretty strict about magic and other things. They wanted to make sure everything was within the uh, the paradigm or the rubric, uh, if you would. But as you write in your book, Chris, the idea of um, the goddess, as you write the holy kadesh, the holy uh, prostitute, And theogens and fertility and sex are completely tied in in ancient times. You can't have one without the other. Yeah, yeah.
1: Well, cannabis is cross-culturally. It's, you know, lots of references to being an aphrodisiac. Uh, um, I don't think necessarily initiating the feelings of sex, but enhancing them once uh, once the arousal takes place. You know what I mean. This is why we see it in tantra, uh, 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 tantric rituals. You know, um, and um, you know it's been suggested that like the heroes gamos or the sacred marriage, uh, where the uh, priest and priestess or the king and queen uh, uh, reenact uh, the 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 uh, the activities of the god and goddess in the heavens to bring fertility to the earth. Uh, may have been inspired by the date palm because it has two sexes. We see this also with cannabis though where it's two sexes as well and uh um I think it's equally possible that uh there may be a connection to that especially considering. The very ancient uh, uh, relationship we see ritually with with cannabis, you know, uh, you know. It's funny every time they make one of these. Like, there's been a number of archaeological discoveries over the last couple of decades uh, regarding cannabis and sacred sites, and uh, every time they get one a new one, they think this is the oldest evidence, the first evidence, <laughs> and then something older comes along. You know, it was just uh, a few years ago before the analysis of the uh, the altars in Israel that, you know, they found uh, evidence of cannabis in uh, China at a number of sites uh, 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 attributed to the Gucci culture, which was an Indo-European uh, group that uh, uh, um, lived in China, central China from about 2000 to 400 BC when the indigenous Han Chinese chased them out of there. Um, and, you uh, um, that was thought you know that that was from like twenty seven hundred years ago the 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 evidence is 2,800 years ago, both of them thought, oh, this is the oldest evidence ever uh, um but it's clearly a lot older because uh um this these these were established practices by the time of this fossilization it wasn't like people just started using it, and then all of a sudden no that day <laughs> <laughs> and it, you know
2: yeah, we ran uh, out. Oh, dude, we're out of our stash.
1: Yeah, yeah. The 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 the, the use of cannabis by the Indo-European Gucci as well uh, is very interesting because of their connection to uh, um, other Indo-European groups, and uh, um, it's been suggested that uh, uh, the term Heyoma, which is the uh, Avestan uh, uh, counterpart of the Vedic soma, a sacred beverage, uh, um. Is derived actually from a Chinese term for cannabis. a uh, uh, Mandy Hassan, a, a linguist, um, came up with this theory. And uh, um, it, this this discoveries in in uh, um, China of the they, of these sites so, uh, by the Gushi, What they found is they found um, uh, uh, really well preserved uh, female cannabis flowers in a tomb, about two pounds of it in a basket. Uh, they found it uh, mixed with capers, I believe it was, in another, mm. tomb, getting some sort of food, maybe prepared for it. And uh, then they found a bouquet of flowers and another tomb over a uh, a mummy. And uh, then after this, they found numbers of braziers that uh, had been filled with rocks and cannabis burnt on it. And this is, uh, uh, and then it was inhaled in tomb and funerary rituals. And this is really interesting because this is the way the Scythians used it as well. Uh, um, Herodotus wrote about their funerary rituals and how they would uh, go into a tent and then throw cannabis on on heated stones inside the tent. Uh, um, And and then we have this evidence from uh, Proto-Indo-European times uh, um, from Romania and, and the Ukraine Uh, uh, of similar methods uh, uh, of cannabis being burnt in tombs for funerary so this is a pretty widespread indo-european practice and we know that these uh, people these indo-europeans in china were in contact uh, with the uh, Bactria margin archaeological complex temple culture Uh, uh, um, victor serianati a russian archaeologist he found uh, three temple sites uh, uh, in this region, a large temple site, size of a football field type of thing. And large parts of these temple sites were dedicated to the making of a sacred beverage, uh, Sarinetti suggests, uh, based on uh, fossilization, fossilized material and, and sediments. Uh, that contained in some cases cannabis and opium and in some cases, uh, uh, I mean, cannabis and ephedra and opium in some places, uh, just cannabis and ephedra. And we know that these Gucci in China as well were using uh, ephedra ritually as well because uh, um, it's been found in uh, um, some of their tombs as well. Um, and so the idea is that this uh, link. Name for cannabis, huma, being used in China, which means Scythian hemp or fire hemp, depending on who's tr- translating it, uh, became heyoma as it reached this Bactria Margiana archaeological complex, and then as it spread out from there, uh, uh, became soma through uh, uh, further linguistic changes into the the Vedic Indian language. Um, so uh, that's another major, you know what I mean, like major. Uh, Connection. And we know, and and, and interestingly, the people that traded the cannabis back and forth between these regions were the Scythians, and they were known uh, by the name Homa Varga, the Hilma gatherers. And uh, ancient texts refer to how they both uh, burnt and drank cannabis, and they found the golden goblets there with the cannabis Mm -hmm. residues in it, as well as other evidence of uh, infused cannabis at other Scythian tubes. Uh, um, so I think that's a pretty you know like solid case for that, and when you combine that with the uh the evidence of arad uh of it being used at the temple site there and the temple site, this is really important because you know they've never found archaeological evidence of the temple site in Jerusalem. this is the oldest. Evidence of you know, temple worship uh, uh, in Israel is this temple site in uh, um, Tel Arad, Jerusalem, which would have happened just prior to uh, the centralization of worship, which is uh, uh, written about in the Old Testament. Um, and it's thought to be based on uh, the same design, but a miniaturized version of the temple in Jerusalem uh, from descriptions. And they found in the temple at Tellarad, there was an inscription, a house of Yahweh, which says specifically, as well as figurines associated with the goddess Asherah. And so there was two braziers, one with frankincense, one with uh, cannabis. And then they believe there was two standing stones originally, uh, um, but only one remained. And uh, um, what happened was, is this was all flipped over in a day, uh, all the stuff, sand put over top of it in a new floor built. And this is why all this material was so well preserved, right? And Hezekiah is described as going around and destroying all the Asherah temples. Uh, same thing. That he was didn't do a very good job of it because when his grandson Josiah uh, uh, came onto the scene, they were all still there. You know? <laughs> and then Josiah, he claimed to have found uh, that what happened in, in his kingdom period was they claimed to have found the, the book of Deuteronomy, in the Temple of Solomon. They're doing some reconstruction there, knock a the wall down. And the, the pride, God. what Yeah, what, lucky us. Is, yeah. <laughs> uh, um So it's in a pagan temple. We know that Yah- uh, Solomon was... accused of burning incense uh, on high to the the mother goddess. You know, it's written right in the thing. And uh, um, some scholars see the Song of Songs attributed to to Solomon as a Hebrew version of the hero's gamos or sacred marriage. Uh, This is another place where one of these references uh, 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 referred to by Sula Bennett as identifying cannabis can be found is in Solomon's Song of Songs, you know. Uh, um, So it's, uh, it's, you know, and, and also... Three of the five references uh, referred to by Sula Bennett uh, regarding Cannabosom Canna have it in connection with frankincense. and particularly this is notable in the last of these references in Jeremiah 620 where he says, "What do I care from your uh, Canna from a distant land? Your frankincense does not please me, you know uh, um, <laughs> And he, he mentions both of them and condemns them you know as an incense of Sheba, uh, um, one of the wives of Solomon. And uh, um, then in Jeremiah 44, we have the verse, uh, um, you know, where he's condemning the people. He he comes across. He's left the Holy Land. It's been taken over by the Assyrians, Babylonians. They're all run out of there. He's over in Egypt, hiding out, comes across (laughs) Jews in Egypt and he says, You're to blame for all the downfall of Jerusalem because you burned incense to the queen of heaven and poured out offerings to her. And uh, they say, Oh, well, we were fruitful when we were doing that. Things were good. You know, it's like now that it's bad. Uh, um, and, and it's a pretty interesting scene. But this is all <clears throat> taking place, you know, within years of the, the cancellation of this temple in Iraq. And so it seems like it's all pretty clearly connected. Uh, uh, um to this time period where the goddess is suppressed monotheism rises up in, in, in into this patriarchal uh uh, uh uh religion that we still are it's pretty much global today you know
2: yeah very true i love uh yeah you do deal with uh uh solomon the song of songs and of course it hides so much and but you also talk about this uh hymn called plow my vulva which yeah. says my vulva is well watered field who will plow it and then the answer comes oh lordly lady the king will plow it for you dumiza that, one, that made me laugh it's like yeah yeah they were having fun in those days weren't they yeah yeah
1: sex was a little you know well you know similarly with some of the gnostic sex as well It seemed like it was a little more of a celebration of orgiastic yeah. uh, activity uh, uh um so yeah i don't know that you know it, it, it's it's kind of uh asceticism and uh fertility aren't really too connected <laughs>
2: yeah yeah yeah. or else you'll die out you know yeah. some sex believed in that and still yeah. do so yeah, whatever you choose you know whatever rocks your boat uh, so but yeah but this thing was so interconnected and what about the idea of the, uh, mystery religion, Kaikion? That's been debated. Where do you stand with it, Chris? Um,
1: I'm not, you know, I don't think that it was cannabis from what I, you know, can see. It seems like obviously some sort of psychoactive substance was there. Um, I thought that, uh, Tom Hatsis made a pretty good case for opium. I'm less convinced by some of this ergot research, you know, uh, um, that, that's, that's been popularized. Um, but uh, definitely, like you know, there's, uh, there's, I think poppies and stuff are appear in imagery associated with elusis, So there's obviously some sort of psychoactive substance. Um, but yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. You know, the cannabis is, plays a lesser role, I think, in a lot of the Greek and Roman stuff uh, um, than than it does in, in in the Near Eastern material.
2: Yeah, and even uh, then, uh, well, even then. When you look at the New Testament, they're outside of, of course, the book of Revelation, eating the scroll and this vision of powerful symbolic vision, as we both agree, went really into the collective unconscious and fished out this amazing stuff. Is there anything else in the New Testament that could point oh, to any sort of psychedelic?
1: If you take I mean, look Paul the goes market, to
2: Arabia, Jesus is out in the desert.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, Paul, you know, has his vision there, white light. It doesn't, doesn't say he ingested anything. Uh, but certainly, you know, when it references to the anointing oil, it says, you know, you've been anointed, so you require right. a future and stuff. And this was one of the main points of contention between uh um the catholic church and, and a lot of gnostic sects was baptism versus anointing and kurt rudolph wrote about this so while drawing you no know, conclusions or uh, ideas about it being a psychoactive substances but the gnostic texts themselves you know say there's only water in the baptism and it's uh, uh, there's fire in the anointing one through the anointing oil we're initiated into unfading bliss and refer to it as a straightener of crooked limbs and and medical applications uh, um, so I think there is some, 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 you know, something in the anointing oil versus uh, water baptism that led to some sort of split. But uh, yeah, I, I didn't really go too much into the the Christian period in this book because um, the, with the archaeological evidence, the the the, the case for the, for the Jewish use is so strong, and I think really solidifies. Uh, uh, the identity of Canada and Canada Boston with cannabis, be, uh, just because there's so many overlaps between the the, the two. Uh, um, that whereas when you, you start getting into this Christian material, it's it's just so much to deal with, and it's a little more speculative. Uh, I would like to deal with it at some point and readdress it. I I had planned to when I would started the book, but then it just gets so big, and so I just figured I'd cut it off at the Old Testament. And then the, the the topic of Jesus and Christianity has become so complicated now. You know, it's like every time it comes up, you have people arguing with, Did Jesus even exist? You know,
2: <laughs> the mythesis, yeah. come on, yeah. Yeah, uh,
1: so it's uh, so hard to to talk about. Some
2: think he was a mushroom. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah, Allegro. Exactly.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, you know, the, on, on that subject, I think that you know uh, um, most of the stuff that you see out of you know the the psychedelic scene on on uh, drugs in the Bible is crap. You know, and I, I, I kind of not made myself too popular by my peers with uh, uh, writing critical articles of uh, uh, of their books, like uh, Brian Marescu's uh, uh, The Immortality Key or, uh, or the uh, Psychedelic Gospels by uh, uh, um, the Browns and uh, you know Allegro and all these things. And I think there's lots to be picked apart there. You know, it's like we definitely know that substances like cannabis and opium and mandrake were used because they wrote about it you know what i mean <laughs> there's ancient textual references and and largely in a lot of this other type of stuff it's based on like really loose speculations about imageries and medieval paintings and uh, other things with no no nothing to back it up no archaeological evidence no other textual evidence that you know clearly identifies it uh, um so it's kind of convolutes things, you know what I mean? It's like uh here's this real evidence, and it gets kind of lost by the wayside because there's so much uh uh frivolous speculation. Not everything can be true, and I think there's a real lack of uh uh critical thinking in the in the psychedelic culture, uh uh in regards to a lot of this type of stuff. Uh well, at the same time, there's a lack of uh uh, of realization and openness uh, uh, you know an uh, understanding of of the context of this uh, amongst academics and historians because they don 't really have the same experience uh, uh, with these psychoactive substances you know and uh, I had hoped this this material from Tellrad would you know i 'm kind of surprised it's still so little known, you know what i mean it 's like really? nobody challenging the results of the material, but you're not really getting a lot of academic. Uh, uh uh um discussion of it and it's like solid proof that they were burning cannabis in order to speak to the gods you know uh, uh um so yeah
2: yeah that's odd it's almost the same way Chris when it comes to astrotheology I think scholars still think that the ancients sat there with a book or a kindle and that's something they don't realize that the truth is again they probably went into an altered state of mind uh they did some performative thing because, you know, people needed to be, you know, I'm Jesus or I'm Yahweh. They needed to be entertained. And they always did it under the stars, under some sort of the perfect time. And they could point out, and here you go, here are the stars. Let's remember this as a mnemonic device. So the same way with astro astronomy, scholars are slowly coming around to that. You know what I mean? And, yeah. But that's the truth of religion. They weren't just sitting down reading books like we do. <laughs> no. And frankincense, I mean, the magi bringing stuff to Jesus. Frankincense was a could give you an altered state of mind, yeah. right?
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, it's believed like uh, it's got uh, um, some THC-like molecules in it. Very uh, works on some of the same receptors, I believe, and can be used as like an antidepressants and things. Uh, there's there's some studies going on in that regard.
2: Awesome, awesome. Ben, do you have a question for Chris?
3: Oh, let's see. I've been racking them up here listening to you guys talk. <laughs> um, what do you think what do you think people are actually talking to, you know, when they use entheogens, Is it really I um, you already said that you didn't believe in some sort of disembodied uh entities yeah. or anything. Well, what what is it? Are they really all that activity back in the ancient times? What were they just talking to themselves or
1: aspects of well,
0: themselves I do or
1: Yeah, I think there's like a collective consciousness that's kind of aware of itself, you know, like uh, um, in awareness coming into awareness of itself. It's like, you know, like a herd of animals or school of fish is under control of something. Right. You know what I mean? And I think that there's some sort of force in life itself that is. Aware, it's an intelligence, but not the not, not the same sort of intelligence as as us, and 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 it's sort of becoming aware of itself. So I think that's, I, I like I've I've had you know I've had spiritual experiences, I've had really profound experiences of synchronicity that I I can't identify. Under any sort of uh, other banner than some something with a, the, uh, the the ability to act through collectively through humanity or something, you know. Uh, um, so I guess I, 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 it's not that I, I'm not an atheist. You know what I mean? It's like you know. I guess I think that things like, as I said, uh, anthropos or Adam Cadman or even Shiva could fall into that kind of territory uh, 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 of deity. Um, so. I think that in some cases, you know, they are are kind of getting into contact with something. Um, Do you think it likes us, or or is it out for itself?
0: I think um, Yahweh was out
1: for itself. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I know. It's like, um, man, I look at the world. I I don't know. It's like, it, it just... It, it doesn't seem so I, everything. I, I'm not really feeling a lot of love. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I know what you mean.
1: You know, uh, maybe, maybe this, maybe the ending comes out better or something. I, I really don't know, but Let's right hope. Now, man. I'm like, I'm out here and you know, I kind of gave up on shit and I'm out here in Nova Scotia surfing because I just kind of felt, feel like I've been banging my head against the wall, trying to change the world. And it's just, not happening, man. You know what I mean? Like the, the climate change and things like that. It's like, it's not like we don't know what's wrong with it. It's not like we don't know the course of action, but trying to implement it is impossible. There's no government that's going to do it and no government would get elected that would be willing to take those types of steps uh, um, because uh, down to the individual level of the voter, uh, people aren't willing to give up uh, uh, what we need to give up and make the changes that, that we need to make. Um, And I and, you know, when I take a look at like Christianity and like, you know, it's like, man, this is what's like bringing Trump into power (laughs) again here, you know, Uh, it's it's it just seems also such a mess. I just don't know what to suggest or say there that I I used to have a more positive outlook and uh, 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 hope. And I I guess uh, it's just kind of it it, it departed from me.
2: (laughs) Chris Bennett became a full blown Gnostic. <laughs> yeah, you could say this anthropos has led us to this right the
1: collective unconscious this is where yeah, we've yeah. gotten anthropos may think it's yahweh you know what i mean it's like uh uh uh, uh um that that's a possibility uh, um but at the same time i don't know it's like i kind of had to back off psychedelics because i i felt like i got through a lot of my own baggage but i was still feeling this like angst or despair and I, I kind of feel like it's a global angst or despair uh um and that's that you know that was one of the things that kind of drove me out to activism was okay well i've got to go out and change the world if i want to yeah, get. Rid of yeah. but i it just i just man everything just became such a mess it's like i i used to think of psychedelics as more of a magic bullet and uh, you know after through covid and all the q and on and all that type of stuff man it just so much of the scene became so flaky and uh um it just doesn't seem like that to me anymore
2: well again an idiot on acid is an idiot on acid yeah, 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 the yeah. entheogens will magnify and yeah. they'll bring up but you still have to look in you still have to do the work you still have to face your issues your trauma the problems of the world and that no drug is going to do that it just helps you right
1: yeah yeah Could make it easier to take you know what I mean it'd be a lot harder uh, uh yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> for me to get by without cannabis to ease the pain
2: <laughs> to manage the pain yeah these are uh, and it's interesting too because uh, again statistically we do live in a time where poverty is less than ever before uh, there's actually less wars regardless of what the TV tells you Uh we are we deal better with environmental disasters better than ever, regardless of what TV tells you. I mean the statistics are there, but people are still depression, alcoholism, mental disorders, those are still on the rise in the West. So it's yeah. almost like we need what Jung said, a spiritual solution. We need to go inside the unconscious and find the answers there, like the old days. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think you know what I, I think that entheogens uh, um used uh ritually could could that could play a role you know what i mean in the unveiling uh uh, of that and getting down i've certainly uh had experiences where i've got into my programming and you know rearranged stuff and then got over that problem under the influence of psychedelics and i'm sure that that techniques could uh uh, be developed or have been developed that would aid in that sort of thing and their and their use but uh um you know, it's it's like here in this day, you know, I get like ads for magic mushrooms and shit on Facebook. You know what oh. I mean? It's like, so mushrooms I,
2: I, are legal in Canada.
1: They're not legal. I don't know how, how how that works. You know, it's like, but there's there's people advertising them I and advertising psychedelic retreats and managing to get Facebook ads and stuff like that. But then you could make a post about these things and get your account banned for a week or something. You know, at the same time, uh, which is kind of weird, but. uh and the corporatization of, of, of psychedelics, which is happening exceedingly fast compared to the way that it happened with cannabis, uh, there doesn't seem to be a, a, a much regard for the dangers of some of these types of things. You know what I mean? Like uh, uh um people have very powerful experiences on, on, on these substances and not all of them are pretty in light bearing. You know what I mean? <laughs> they, these things should be approached with caution and a lot of times... And uh, not as uh, uh, cure-alls. And I, I think they are uh, uh, tools of initiation and, 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 and incredible plant medicines and stuff like that. Uh, um, but there seems to be a, a commodization of them that leads to uh, um, them being marketed as, as cure-alls. And uh, um, you know, this, you're messing with stuff. you're messing with the very found, foundation of, of the structure of the mind and uh, you can really jingle stuff up there you know what i mean like bad things can happen look at charles manson and and that whole scene you know it's 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 the dark side of it but it's there you know
2: Everything casts a shadow, as you would say. And what about ayahuasca? I'm a big proponent, and I've utilized ayahuasca. Is that legal in Canada, or what's the government's approach? There's
1: like, uh, um, you can get exemptions if you're part of Religious. a religion that uses it. Uh, I haven't heard of anybody ever being, you know, getting arrested for it too much, or or, or 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 ceremonies getting busted. So I think that unless they're getting called into something, that it's something that they just leave alone but i'm sure if they were getting complaints by you know neighbors holding psychedelic rituals you know, <laughs> um, <they laughs> act on it uh but uh surprisingly little in the ways of uh legal actions uh, across the board on that
2: all right so yeah it looks like everything is pretty kosher over there in canada when it comes to these things so hopefully it's helping indeed and uh, yeah because uh It's interesting, my uncle is the head of the Santo Daime Church, which is a Christian group from Brazil, the Amazons, originally the Amazons that does psychedelics. And uh, he was arrested in Portugal, not for bringing in ayahuasca, but for bringing in marijuana.
1: Yeah, yeah. uh, The the, the marijuana caused a big split in the Santo Daime because... That's it. uh, 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 Some of them uh, think it's a sacred, you know, the Santa Maria. Santa Maria. Uh, and the other part of them think it's oh that's a terrible drug.
2: <laughs> it did, it did. And my uncle's on the part where Santa Maria is good, and he says that's because he's start, he start talking about the lunar and the solar, and there needs to be balance. And Santa Maria is just the perfect thing. But then you talk to some of the others, and it's like interesting how religions are, aren't, Chris? Always a schism somewhere about Always. something. <laughs> So awesome. Uh, anything else you want to share about your book, where to find it and all that?
1: Uh, you can find it on Amazon or any major bookseller will have copies of it. And always interested in people's feedback. Uh, if you want to follow me on Facebook or something, you might you know, I post stuff about from it and other historical material. I'm always keeping an eye on what's happening uh, archaeologically and historically with the new cannabis discoveries and uh, other entheogenic studies. And uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, keep on keeping on. And uh, um, don't don't let my uh, talks of despair bring you down. You know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, hopefully I get through it. I've just been kind of uh, uh, um, not feeling that hopeful for the world lately.
2: It's a time of change. So it's not change is not easy. We're changing no matter whether we like it or not. And these changes in Western culture will continue. And sometimes you just feel, yeah left out not fast enough uh, not how we wanted things to be the flying car or whatever but uh, so do you have a website
1: I don't have a website no
2: you don't so just look at you on facebook yeah, i'll have it you on can the google channel. my
1: name and cannabis lots of stuff would come up or a youtube search my name and cannabis there's interviews and lectures and that sort of stuff
2: awesome awesome and uh, vance any last question or remark or shall we say goodbye to you first I think it's uh,
3: goodbye. Um, I learned a lot, and uh, now I know that when Moses went up on Mount Sinai, he got stoned. There you go. <laughs>
2: <laughs> That's why he dropped one of the 15 commandments. That burning bush. Yeah, burning bush. So awesome. Well, uh, certainly, audience, uh, we just scratched the surface. I highly recommend you get Lost Sacrament of the Ancient World Cannabis because... Yeah. You will stay in your bookshelf. You'll always have hard, solid data. Chris quotes all these scholars. He reveals archaeological evidence. He's got the the maps and the diagram. Everything's there. It's like uh, the book that should settle things uh, pretty much. And uh, a great book. And Chris always enjoyed having you on. Always enjoy having you on a bite. And as always, thanks for everything and good luck.
1: Yeah, my pleasure as well. Thanks so much, guys. Take care.
2: Pleasure is all ours.
1: Take care, Chris.
2: And there you have it, you shining crazy diamonds. Chris getting us high enough to bypass Olympus and touch the face of Sophia. As mentioned in the intro, due to Ark on Monkey Shines, we came a bit short of the typical hour and 30 minutes. Thus, I'll provide the interview for everyone as a fall special. For subs, though, I'll include a section of a previous interview where Chris discusses the entheogen use beyond the ancients, specifically in occultism across history, including the drug use of Knights Templar, John Dee, and Freemason groups. Don't miss it, and please sub for the full liberating but psychedelic experience. And it supports this red pill cafeteria... I can't do it without you. For subs, let us to more amazing revelations from Chris Bennett. For everyone else, hello and goodbye as always. All I need are some tasty waves, cool buzz, and I'm fine. The idea that the
1: Templars...